Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we will answer as we get our minds and heart on Jesus. Good afternoon, family. It's so great to see all of you here on this first day of the week. We gather today not just as a congregation, but as a family united in faith. As family and friends, community friends, family friends, family members, families in the faith, all united because of what the Lord Jesus did when he died on Calvary, which is what we celebrate here as the Lord's Supper. Also, we're in an exciting juncture in our church's journey. All of you who have made it thus far, our best days are still ahead. Do you believe that? Amen. I hope that's a hearty amen. We are in the middle of a capital campaign. For those of you who are visiting with us, for those who are online, a capital campaign aimed at expanding our ministries and our community outreach because, God willing, a year from now, there will be a new structure standing in Hophog, and there's going to be a sign on that building saying the Long Island Church of Christ. Praise God, right? <laughs> so in this sermon, which is the fourth one in the Gateway series titled Gateway to Life, we're going to center on the joy that comes from imitating and enabling the spirit of generosity that comes from our Heavenly Father and can operate through us as people. God chooses out of His immense generosity, He chooses us, weak, defective vehicles, jars of clay, as He says in the New Testament, that are fragile and weak, yet He wants us to display His unlimited generosity. How does that work? Well, God willing, we're going to go over three points here today that will help you understand how that works. But before we get there, I want us to think of this dual citizenship or, or this dichotomy that exists while we're alive in this planet, while we are living and using these weak vessels, and at the same time having a citizenship that is in heaven. So it's like a duality to our existence here, those of us who've taken Jesus as our Savior. Often we think of giving as a, as a sacrifice, as parting of something that we own. But what if I told you that the act of giving, it's not just about letting go, but it's also about receiving. Not receiving material things, but something far more valuable. Something that God has already extended to all mankind, which is atonement for sin. Guilt-free living. Do you know how many people out there exist that have a guilty, that their consciences are weighing for tons of things? Some of them just living victimized lives, not knowing how to escape from that because of how they were raised, unfortunately, under some circumstances. And yet, God is there waiting to unleash His, His promise of guilt-free living and the immeasurable joy that comes when we accept this awesome gift. So, see, giving is really just a reaction to really understanding that gift that God gave us that sets our 
minds free of that guilt. It comes from a mindset that we all need to cultivate, especially as we Christ followers decide that we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Look at what the Holy Spirit says here in Romans 8, 16 through 17. It says, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. But here's the catch. (laughs) It all sounds good until then. But then at the end, he adds this tag and he says, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. See, there is a percent or, or a portion of our lives while we're living in the flesh that we're imitating that life of Jesus. We have to accept and totally surrender ourselves to that part of suffering. And in that suffering, learn really what giving is all about. It's not easy We have to be willing to wear a crown of thorns if we want to wear the ultimate crown given to us by God. That that is the case. But here we're told some good news. We're co-heirs with Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, as as we get older and, and some family members that were older than us pass by, some of you may have had the uh, blessing of having some kind of inheritance passed down to you. And so you may be familiar with this idea of heirs and co-heirs and inheritances. And sometimes it's really exciting, right? Uh, Almost everybody maybe has a rich uncle somewhere or aunt that passed away and left something in the will to you. And that is a really great surprise sometimes when that happens. And so when we read about heirs and co-heirs, what is he really talking about there? He's talking about something that you cannot even imagine. Something that is you know, much more surprising than receiving a letter or a call from some kind of attorney saying that your uncle left you a million dollars. I mean, that would be great news, wouldn't it? Imagine if one day you pick up the phone and you realize, gee, I'm a millionaire. Somebody left me a million dollars. But it's not half as exciting as what the Spirit is trying to tell us here. What He's trying to communicate with us. That there is a testification within us already if we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. And God's Spirit saying, man, there's something together with us. We're co-heirs. There's something coming that is going to be worth far more than anything that you can imagine. And so this, this juxtaposition of, of state, right? Because we're here in this, in this worldly state. We think that value comes from material things and things that we own. But yes, there's that reality. But there's a, a, a greater reality coming. An exalted reality. An exalted state within this kingdom with, that Jesus made, of citizen, made us citizens of. Galatians also says something similar. Galatians 4, 6 through 7. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Look at that that intimacy there. It kind of reminds me of the prophecy in Jeremiah 31. Where God promised to put his laws into our hearts and in our minds. It depicts the intimacy that God desired with his people. And so in our hearts now, we have that, that desire to call out to God. Abba, Father. Abba is a turn of endearment, like saying daddy, you know. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir 
Think about that. Let your minds get wrapped around that concept of being an heir of riches that you know nothing of. And this just underscores the transformation from the state of being slaves, slaves to sin, by the way. That's the slavery that he's talking about here. He says, Jesus said, anyone, anyone who sins is a slave to sin, which means all humanity, because no one is exempt of that. But now, when we call God our Father, and we've decided to follow Jesus in His footsteps, we're no longer slaves. We've been set free from that. And when we're free, now we're free to receive a kingdom and the inheritance, full rights to the inheritance from the Father, full rights. No longer are we supposed to be pursuing a dream of fulfillment in this world. Maybe a lot of us started that way when we were young. You know, we went to college, got our degree, thinking about the American dream or something similar to that. Uh, what am I going to get? What kind of job am I going to get? What kind of house am I going to get? Wife, kids, etc., etc. But you know, as Christians now, with this idea of being co-heirs with Christ and receiving an inheritance, there is no longer, I mean, what dream can stand next to that? What are we now longing to fulfill if we've been welcomed into a familiar relationship with the Father through Christ, with all the associated rights and privileges of divine kingship? I don't know about you, but it takes some time for me to think about and swallow and process. I'm still processing it. I've been in Christ 35 years and I'm still learning to process what exactly does that mean for me? How does that translate now in my life, living here still in this flesh? So our faith in this reality right here in this three-dimensional world is expressed by how I view and value now my material life in light of that spiritual adoption. That's, that's the only lens that's going to help me evaluate that correctly and define then what kind of a giver am I going to be, right? Isn't that true? That's how we need to think about it. And out of that then comes a joy as a kingdom citizen that will teach me to consider what I value here and look at it as just mere tools to help those in a less privileged position who may yet still be slaves to sin. Now that I am free, free to serve, free to use all the things God has given me to use, now these things just just our tools. They no longer hold the same value maybe before. Maybe when I was a young Christian, you know, my dream car was a Lamborghini. Not that I could have ever afforded it. <laughs> or maybe I had a dream car, right? Now, all of us guys, you know, we, we like to think about cars for the most part, right? Or, or tech, you know, or something like that, right? The latest and the greatest, right? But to be honest with you, as, as that idea kind of fades away in light of the greater inheritance that I'm realizing that I have, then you know what? I don't really care what kind of car I have now, as long as it works. <laughs> Maybe now I'll care more about, okay, you know, uh, miles per gallon and, and all those things, rather than a particular name brand or tech. Because now these things are just tools. They're just tools for me to do something greater, something that has more 
of an eternal impact. And that's what Jesus meant when he said this in Luke 16 verse 9. He says, make friends for yourself by means of worldly wealth. So that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. So there is supposed to be a, fo- a shift in our focus now. If we've really taken in what it means to be kingdom citizens. If we've really taken in what it means to be co-heirs with Christ. And the kind of inheritance that we're going to get. Now we ought to think like this. Now this makes sense. Because now whatever it is that I have here on this earth. Really should be put to use To really connect with others and make eternal differences in their lives. Because God already has made an eternal difference in mine. And I'm going to outlive all these toys and tools. They're going to become worthless one day if not already. (laughs) Uh, So this verse is really part of the larger context, right? Of the parable of the dishonest manager which runs from verse 1 in Luke 16 to verse 13. And and the parable's manager is not commended for his dishonesty. I just wanted to clear that up. It's not like Jesus is saying, oh yeah, you know, if you're dishonest, it'll pay off. That's not what he's saying here. But he's commending him for his shrewdness in dealing with his master's debtors. It's kind of like us. We realize, as the manager did, that, you know what, These, these things are really worthless here on earth. They really don't have a purpose Unless it is to make friends. That's what the dishonest manager realized. Because he figured out, I'm going to be poor. (laughs) So might as well put this to work. And you know what? We, all that you might think defines your richness here on earth is going to come to nothing. And what's more important is us not to create this worldly wealth, but to create an eternal relationship relationships that have eternal significance it's also important to note that this teaching follows a warning at the end of it that no one can serve two masters since he either will hate one or love the other or will be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money this reinforces the idea that while it's not wrong to have something It's not wrong to have a home, to have a car. It's not wrong to have money in your bank account. But it's not the object of my definition. It no longer is the object of my loyalty. It no longer is the object of my devotion because that is reserved for God alone. And so when I put God as number one, then wealth or resources, it just becomes a tool. That's all it is. A tool that empowers me greatly to make friends. Use it to connect with people. Because people are attracted to that, right? I mean, who refuses? Hey, let's go and I'll buy you a, a Starbucks coffee, right? I've never said no to that. Or let's go get a box of donuts or maybe a little bit more healthy, right? You might be attracted to this. But, uh, you know, let's do, use what you have. Use that tool now to influence. Because let me tell you, it influences. So use it well. And we all have, whether it's a little or a lot, we have it. And so we're distinguishing here between those two realities, those two worlds, so to speak. Self-realization of being a kingdom citizen or 
our indoctrination in the world to pursue worldly things. So that's what we're battling here. These are the two uh, dichotomies that's presented to the Christian that Jesus introduces, that Jesus talks about. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see this distinction between the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of God. The kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. And they're all kind of very easy to define. The worldly citizen, he's just concerned about self. He's providing for self. He goes to work for self. He gets a degree for self. And anytime somebody asks him for money, he's suspicious. Suspicion defines this person because he's wary of anything that might take his money away from him, right? Have you ever wanted to read the Bible in plain English, a language that you can actually understand and follow? Well, there is a translation like that called God's Word Translation by God's Word to the Nations Mission Society. This is the only translation of the Bible in English that follows a dynamic equivalent translation philosophy. It makes the Bible very easy to understand and it flows very naturally in the English language. You can follow along my podcast where I read to you from God's Word translation for one whole year. You can search for the podcast on Spotify or your favorite podcast reader. Search for God's Word Translation by God's Word to the Nation Mission Society. You can also look it up under my name, Pedro Gelibert. And so what satisfies that worldly citizen, what's satisfying? Accumulation. I have a lot. I have more and more and more. And that's what you see. People who, who don't uh, pledge allegiance to God, eventually they're going to be pledging allegiance to this kind of mindset. You cannot avoid it. This is what makes you a slave. And so opposed to that is what Jesus is calling us to, this heavenly citizenship. We're going to live forever, by the way. You know, Not your body. Your body is going to die at one point. But if you've been baptized into Christ, you already started your eternal life. It's just a matter now how you translate that while you're in the flesh. If you really believe it. Giving is worship. Giving is part of worship for the kingdom citizenship. God loves a cheerful giver. There is joy. There is cheer in us being able to use these tools to help other people out. To help them become free of their slavery. To help them connect to God. And so this generosity and using that and showing that is what precedes the kind of blessings that we're going to be talking about today. So I'm going to give you three points for today's sermon. The first one is the following. That giving is an act of worship. This is the kingdom mindset. Giving is an act of worship. Proverbs 3 9 and 10 says the following, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Many of these feasts and celebrations that Danny was alluding to in his lesson involved giving of the first fruits of the Lord. A lot of them were like that, especially the Feast of the Harvest. You have to give the first fruit of the harvest, meaning the first beautiful fruits that would come out that you might be tempted to say, oh no, I'm going to keep this one for me. Yeah? Just like when you buy those avocados and you're like, okay, I'm going to keep the best ones for me. 
And then I'll give the other ones away. (laughs) And so they were to give the first produce of their entire harvest. What was that teaching them? As Danny said, to rely on God. To depend on God. And so when you receive something, brothers and sisters, friends, if you receive a blessing, if somebody gave you money, or there was a windfall in your life, or there was some kind of bonus that you got paid, what's the first thing you do with that first fruit? I ask you. Because if our first act is worship, then we should give a portion of it right away to God to honor Him and to thank Him for providing for us. That's what that means. Giving is worship. And there's a promise that comes with that. Then your barns will be completely filled. Your vats will overflow. See, the generosity of God is not a, a, a full vat but an overflowing vat, uh, something overstuffed. Just as we honor God with our time and our talents, our material possessions are also a means to worship Him. We know God doesn't need that. God doesn't need money. But it's showing really where our hearts are from. It's showing really where our motivation is, what our attitude is. God loves at a good attitude and he loves when we're thankful and when we're grateful if you read through many of the prayers that the apostle paul shared in the new testament to the different churches almost every single one will say be grateful be thankful because that's what god wants i mean think about parents aren't you so happy isn't there such a great joy when your children are grateful and thankful for what you do I mean, doesn't that just fill you up, right? So we can relate to God there. When we give, we acknowledge that all we have is really a blessing from Him. And so we honor Him by sharing that first fruit with God, knowing that when we do so, it's going to be a blessing to others. It also shows a dependency on the Lord and not on ourselves. It kind of illustrates this dual citizenship again. The gateway to life, as the title of this sermon really, is a gateway to life, to God's city, because that's the ultimate city that we want to be a part of, versus the city that we dwell in right now, which is the city of death. I mean, really, man's city. Too often, what rules our thinking is the spirit of Babel, the spirit of disobedience, which is what led Cain to build the city once he left God's presence because he wanted to do his own thing. God says, hey, if you do what's right, won't you be accepted? And Cain was like, yeah, whatever, I'm out of here. So that shows that Cain didn't want to accept God. He wanted to do his own thing. And the first time we hear of anybody building a city is Cain. When he left the presence of God, he went and built a city. And he set mankind on a path towards self-dependence. And we see later on in Genesis 11 what that becomes. That becomes where the descendants of Noah attempt to build a city. And not just a city, but a tower. Because they wanted to reach the top. They wanted to be at the top of the sky. It says in the text, they wanted to make a name for themselves. To prevent their dispersal from across the earth. Genesis 11:4 says, Come, let's build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Hmm, I wonder what that looks like, right? You find any other city around here that's similar? <laughs> uh, let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So this story really exemplifies 
human pride, the desire for self-sufficiency. And the tower itself represents not just technological endeavor, but an attempt to achieve greatness, security, identity, all apart from God. It's really a symbol. The city, the human city, is a symbol of human autonomy and the belief that we've got what it takes. We can do this on our own. We've got the technology. Kind of like if, if you're old enough to remember the $6 million man. Remember uh, the preview before the show. We've got the technology. We've got the wisdom. <laughs> and so the $6 million man came out. Right Nowadays it would be the $3 billion man. So this is all a symbol of ingenuity and technology. Oh, we're so proud in our technological endeavor. We're so proud of the things. Oh yeah, we're so proud of ourselves. And so God's response to that, you know what it was, right? He says, oh, really? <laughs> All right, let's see. And so he kind of confused their language a little bit there. And, and so they had to stop and they were scattered. Over. Exactly what they didn't want to happen ended up happening. And so this action, God is trying to show the people, look, you guys are limited, man. You, you don't have what it takes this confusion of languages was a direct intervention to remind humanity that as good as your creations might get, they're not going to save you. They're not going to really help you out. If anything, they're just going to leave you empty. They're going to leave you wanting more. And they're never going to match the kind of generosity and love that God can give you. So in the contemporary context, there's a parallel that can be drawn with the Tower of Babel uh, when considering the ways that which, in which modern technology can foster this ultimate sense of self-sufficiency, right? I mean, nowadays technology offers that illusion that we can control everything. We'll control the environment. We'll control the weather. We'll, con we'll achieve security. And so, yeah, the city is still that symbol of human self-sufficiency. But I think technology overall... Uh, kind of leads to this confusion, this, this unity. Uh, and it's a call to remember that while technology is good, and I'm not against technology, I'm not a Luddite, all right? I'm, I'll be the first one to use technology. I think it's great. I think it's fabulous. I think it's a tool. That's all it is, a tool, right? A tool to do great things. But it can also become a sense of distraction. And that's kind of like the mindset that this world offers the city, technology, self-dependence, reliance on wisdom. We think we're so smart. We think we're so skilled. And so we get lost, ultimately. I mean, think about all the things, really, that, that, that can be wrong with the city because it goes away from God. And so the Lord reminds the Israelites that we're caving into this mindset at the time. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. He reminds them where their spiritual investment needs to be because we can all be kind of lulled to sleep, living in the city, working in the city. And I not, don't just mean that literally, but for this dream, for this, for this uh, ultimate reality. Let's work together. You know, let's achieve this together. And we can get lost in what it means to invest in God and to make sure that God is who we're worshiping and not buying into this dream of the city, which was happening, by the way, at this time. And when the prophet Malachi says this, he's, he's talking to the priest at the time. He's talking to God's people at the time, telling them, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food 
in my house. Not that God needed the food. But God had made this system different from the city of man. The system, the spiritual kingdom. And the people weren't buying into it. They'd rather buy into the human machine. And so they were not being blessed. Their crops had blight. All kinds of things were happening. And God is reminding them through Malachi. Bring the full tenth. Don't give me half of what you promised to give. But bring in the whole thing into my house. And God challenges them to test him. And this is what I love about God. It's, not, it's a great test because he says, test me in this to see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Because that's how God is. He says, I'm going to prove to you that I want to bless you, but I need you to be in with this on me. I need your hearts to be aligned with me in this idea. It's something that God is always challenging each generation to do. This floodgates of heaven that he's talking about here really is a metaphor representing the outpouring of the blessing of God and how he really wants his people to be faithful to him because he has always been faithful to us. Even when we're not faithful, even when we haven't been faithful, and you can read all about that throughout the Old Testament, how people have failed again and again, yet God still remains faithful. Because he remains true to his promise. And so in this passage we see how God rewards those who give faithfully. And buy into this co-heir thing. This this co-inheritance that we have. That's the promise that's hanging over our heads right now. It's a great promise. It's not a threat. It's a good promise. Because God wants us to learn to give out of a generous heart. Because he's waiting to see if we can see his generosity. If we're awake enough to see and to realize how much he has given us in Jesus Christ. So giving is an act of worship. When I give with God in mind and with this idea that I'm a kingdom citizen, citizen, then any giving that I do is really worshiping and exalting God and showing my gratitude. The second point is that God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, where the apostle Paul encourages the church there, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not out of compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. This again is speaking to that kingdom mindset. God's kingdom operates on the currency of joy and love, not under compulsion, not under uh, reluctance. If you are feeling like you have to do things under compulsion or you're feeling reluctant, you're not a member of the kingdom of God. You're a member of some cult or some other man-made club because that's the kind of spirit that produces compulsion, that produces reluctance. In the kingdom of God, it's all about joy. It's all about volunteering. It's all about wanting to be a part, having the privilege, being grateful and being thankful and that's the condition of a heart that's worshiping God as they give giving shouldn't be a burden you know even the poor widow as we examine her even though she had two little copper coins to give she didn't give that under obligation she didn't give that under compulsion and she certainly was not reluctant which is why Jesus exalted her she totally gave everything she had out of a spirit of 
gratefulness and thankfulness to God. Really believing and worshiping God as she performed that act. And the same should be with us. So I'm going to highlight uh, the differences here in the motivation and the attitude. So that we, we make sure we are aligned here as we prepare ourselves for giving and really worshiping God in our giving. If I feel that it's under pressure, I'm feeling pressured uh, to do something. Uh, and most of the time, brothers and sisters, if you're a member of this church, whatever pressure you might be feeling is probably ma- made up in your own mind, okay? Because certainly nobody here is pressuring anybody to do anything, okay? <laughs> so any of anybody here who's feeling pressure, that's coming from you. I just want to clear that up right now. And it may be good or it may be bad because if I'm feeling pressured because I feel guilty, because I know something privately inside that I know I could do better, but I don't. Well, that's something that you have to resolve between you and God. But certainly not under obligation. Certainly nobody is coercing anybody. Jesus never coerced anyone to follow him. As a matter of fact, when people were, were ready to abandon him and he went to his disciples and says, oh, you're going to leave me too? Jesus wasn't like, oh, please follow me. Oh, please. That's not Jesus. Jesus says, oh, you're going to leave me too. And they're like, where would we go? To whom shall we go? You're the only ones with the words to eternal life. And so that showed Jesus their hearts believed that, oh, Jesus is the only one to follow. And so when we're following out of that mindset, then yes, that confirms our faith. But certainly not coercion, not reluctance, and brothers and sisters, not resentment. We cannot be resentful. That comes from a bitter spirit. That comes from a worldly spirit. Whenever you find that resentment, that bitterness in you growing, you have to really deal with that quickly because that's more likely of your own making again. And it's something that you need to resolve. Because if you are giving and you have resentment or you're grudgingly giving in your heart, they're not going to be worshiping God with that attitude. No matter how many millions you could give. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Even if it's just two cents <laughs> that you give, right? He wants you to do it cheerfully, voluntarily. That's what... If you like this podcast, please show your support by clicking on the support link on my Anchor FM profile. This ensures I will continue producing authentic Christian content as the Lord allows me. Thank you and have a blessed day. That's why the churches in Macedonia blew Paul's mind. Because they were in no condition to be giving. He had even said, look, you don't need to give. Let's not bring this up to the churches in Macedonia because they're under a hard, they're they're going through a hard time. Don't inform them. But somehow they found out anyway. And they begged Paul to give. Wow. I mean, do you think they were worshiping God? That's like, the, that's like the widow. That's like the poor widow right there, exemplified in these churches. And they were grateful. They were thankful. They wanted to help. I mean, so many of you uh, have come to me, have come to Steve, wanting to use your entire being for this Project Gateway. And that fills me with so much hope, so much love, and so much motivation. I know that you're worshiping God. 
in your whole being just because you want to give yourselves over to however it's going to look like. We don't know what it's going to look like yet. All the ministries that all you guys want to do and get involved in. Wow, we're going to have a field day trying to sort all that out. But that's a good problem to have, right? That's a great thing. So I'm very, very encouraged how many of you are replying with this cheer, with this desire to help because you see this as a privilege to to participate in God's kingdom because God has already given you not only everything that you need on this earth, but so much that you don't even understand until, until we get there on the other side. And that's why we're giving out of that desire. The Holy Spirit is teaching us here to really understand our heart and to learn to give out of a place of abundance. Maybe not abundance materially. I mean, if you have abundance? Absolutely. You give what you have, right? You can't give what you don't have. But we're giving more out of an abundance of gratitude, out of an abundance of understanding and trying to to realize, wow, you know what? I've been given so much because when your mindset is out there, it's is above the material, then at that point, the material uh, all of a sudden has that new definition of it just being a tool. And that's when you're in the right frame of mind to really give to God. And this aligns with the broader principles, the biblical principles that God is very concerned of when it comes to what uh, makes us function. What kind of inner motivations are we having in order to do all these acts of worship? Uh, Anybody can play church. Anybody can come to a church, sit down, sing a song, open a Bible. And and some people in a weird way self-medicate their guilt with that. You know, there's a lot of people that go to church and try to be religious because they might be feeling guilty about something or they feel they're not worthy. And and so they're trying to find worth in playing church when that is not what it is about. That kind of, that's not real religion that James talks about. That's a self-deception. That's a kind of self-medication of, uh, of the world, trying to appeal to your conscience in that way. And that's not how God works at all. You want to connect with God, then you give. <laughs> you give everything in your life, starting by the first step of obedience, which is to give literally yourself away in the watery grave of baptism, to be atoned for your sin. That's the first thing that you give over. Main point number three generosity opens the doors to blessing. Luke 6, 38. One of my favorite passages that illustrates the generosity of God. Luke 6, 38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Every time I I read this verse and I study this verse, I think of Baskin Robbins ice cream. (laughs) You know why? (laughs) Because there was a particular store that we loved to go to when I lived in Fresh Meadows. And we went over there. Whenever we would buy a pint or a half gallon, they didn't sell gallons anymore to my chagrin. The attendant would, you know, would take the, the, the ice cream packaging put some ice cream, press it down. And I'll be like, yeah, press it down, baby. Press, press hard. 
pack it again, pack, pack, pack. Like, that's how you serve ice cream, right? And, and this verse would come to my mind, press down. Of course, you can't shake it together, but you can press it down and, and make sure it was overflowing. And I always visualize, wow, that's how the Lord blesses me. You know, he doesn't just give me a container, but that container has been pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. Wow, this is the Lord. And Christ assures us that's the generosity. That's the gateway to life. That's the gateway to abundance. When we give in the same measure. Because we realize this is how God has given me. It's an outpouring of God's grace and blessing. Sometimes in the forms that we least expect it. Because God loves to surprise us at times. And sometimes we don't make connections. And then we realize, wow, look at what God did. God did this so long ago. I didn't realize until 10 years later how much he has blessed me. Because we're slow sometimes to, to learn about these things. But see, we have to keep our eyes open. We have to keep our minds open to be surprised by all these things. And when we're convinced that we have these blessings packed into our lives, then you know what we become? We become open-handed people. Open-handed people are always ready to give. Always give generously because we're so grateful of this outpouring of God's love and kindness. And that's the heart that pleases the Lord in this gateway to life. I like how Jesus describes this kind of giving in Matthew chapter 6 verse 3. He says, give without letting one hand know what the other hand is doing. It's a proverbial expression that gets lost on us in English. But it's used when Jesus was teaching about giving. Here in Matthew chapter 6 verse 1 through 4. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street to be applauded by people. You've seen them on TikTok, right? Uh, oh, let's film and see how generous I am today. And meanwhile, you're like, oh, he's so generous. Oh, he gave so much. Yeah, well, there was a camera all there in the whole time. So what's the point? You see, you understand what's going on here? I'm not impressed by them anymore because it's to be seen. And Jesus very clearly defines that. What the Father rewards is what is unseen. Why? Because your Father is unseen. And so our giving needs to be in secret. He says in verse 3, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. No, this is a real, this is really a test to see whether or not you believe in the father. Because if you don't believe in the father, yeah, you'll want people to see you. And you'll get your reward right there. Paid in full. That's what, that was your reward to be seen. How many likes you got on TikTok? How many likes you like on Instagram? For all the people that saw you give. That's it. That's all the reward you're getting. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I believe in God. I, my eyes can't see him, but I believe he's there. And so I want to do my giving in secret because I, I don't want to be rewarded by you. You give lousy gifts. I want to be rewarded by God. No, you give great gifts, but compared to what God gives, it's lousy. I want to be give, I want a reward from the Lord God. So I want to make a habit of being open-handed, not closed-fisted. I want to do it because I want to get into the habit of being generous. And I got to confess to you, it's not a good habit. It's a tough habit habit to do. Why? Because this indoctrination from the world is hard to get rid of. 
You know, uh, especially in this day and age of hacking and, and people stealing your money and fraud and things. You know, we, we become very suspicious. But should I? No, not if I want to practice being open-handed. Not if I want to practice this kind of giving. So, so that's like a constant challenge to me to be this kind of a person. This verse 3 is a proverbial expression. It signifies that the action should be done so secretly that my left hand didn't know what my right hand did. That's what the proverb means. Uh, and then it also means don't give in a way that's boastful or showy. But do it in a quiet way. Do it in an anonymous way. Our charitable deeds are for the Father. They're not for, for, for each other. They're not to be trumpeted. Oh, this brother is so great. He gave this much or that much. And in many cases, you know, works of charity ought to be hidden even from, from the people around us, right? Because we want to glorify the Lord by what we give. They are given to God and should be in Him alone. I think it's similar to uh, what Peter experienced. Because sometimes I think about like my, what my right hand, let my right hand do what my left hand doesn't know what it's doing. Sometimes that would confuse me. And I think I interpret it in a way that sometimes I may be eager and ready to give. Like my right hand says, yeah, you know, go ahead, give it right away. But my left hand is like, hey, you know, not so fast. Don't do that. Don't you understand that, you know, hey, you know, you got bills to pay. You got that. Oh, oh. And so my left hand now is taking control and say, hey, right hand. (laughs) Not so quick. And that's me, you know, I have a lot of intrusive thoughts about things like that constantly in my mind, right? Worst case scenarios, right? I'm a really positive person, right? I'm an optimist, but, but I am a, I'm a catastrophist in my thinking. So I, I want to give, but then all of a sudden as I'm giving, things are crashing down in my brain. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Um, I don't know. Can I give? <laughs> uh, maybe not. Is it in my budget? <laughs> and so... When I read, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, I hear Jesus tell me, Pedro, stop it. If you want to be generous, you can't be a catastrophist in your thinking. You have to be completely reliant on God. Don't stop yourself from generously giving because of the preoccupations and the things that you suddenly remember that you have to do. That's how that applies to me personally. And it's similar, I think, to to what Peter experienced when he stepped out the boat, right? I mean, think about Peter. Jesus is calling him to step out in the water. And he's like, yeah! (laughs) And he started to to sink. And that exemplifies how sometimes, oh yeah, I want to give, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Oh, let me, give me a week. (laughs) I think I got to think about it. (laughs) And I don't know, I have to grow in that. I want to be open-handed. I want to be generous. I want to be trusting in the Father at any minute. So that's, I'm confessing to you, that's how I need to grow in this attitude of giving. I need to really, uh, really convince myself more and more that I'm not a citizen of this earth, but I'm a citizen of heaven. And so I already have everything I need. Already. I've been provided for a hundred times over by God, because my father is is the owner of everything anyway. And if he needed to give me something, he would. The drop of a hat, because he has provided like that for me in the past. And he wants me to be cheerful. 
And he wants to give me a blessing. He already promised it. So why, why am I doubting? Why am I stopping myself? Why am I letting my, why am I informing my left hand what my right hand wants to do? I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I need to give as Jesus instructed me to give. And so we believe giving is worship, that we need to give cheerfully, and that this generosity really is preceding the open doors of blessing that God promised us. This is the gateway to life. Giving generously is more than just a financial decision. It's really a spiritual commitment. It has to come out of a spiritual conviction, out of an outpouring of gratitude because we realize what God has done for us and is doing for us. Things that we don't even understand. He does them because He wants to bless us. That's the kind of God that He is. Did He not love us so much that He gave His one and only Son for us? Did He not love us so much that He pressed down, shook together, run over this gift of atonement for sin when we really didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it, yet God showed on Calvary how much blessing He wants to give us. And so the first step in responding to that is, Lord, here I am. I want to give myself to You. And that's the first step of becoming a Christian, a believer is joining Jesus in that death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. When we get baptized and we go into the water, we're essentially giving our lives away for God. We're saying, I'm done with this world. I'm not a citizen of the world anymore. I'm going to be a citizen of God. And you die with Jesus in the watery grave, symbolically, because God says, no, I still got work for you to do here. And then you come out of that watery grave a new person. That's God's promise. That's the first step of obedience God gave, He gave cheerfully, He gives open-handedly, He's the one opening the door for blessing. Don't forget that. If you don't know how to become a Christian and you want in in this inheritance that Jesus has prepared for you, please come forward as well. Consult with some of our elders as to how to do this, how to take this first step of baptism because we can't wait for more people to join in the ranks so that God can do wonderful things here on Long Island. God bless you. Have a great day. 